Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, we are driving to Houston to talk to Dr. David D. Shine. David wears many hats as a licensed attorney, professor, consultant, public speaker, and author of numerous books, including his latest release, Bad Deal for American. So my dear Dr. David, welcome to the RV. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's fun to drive along with you for a bit. And it, it is one of the more interesting times I've been interviewed because I know where you're sitting at the moment. And I, I think that's fascinating. Um, I've done some interviews um, in England, but I think this is the first time I've done an interview on the continent. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm happy about that. And it's raining a lot now in Houston, but I drive very well. Don't be worried. <laughs> that sounds just fine. And yeah, usually around here, the ponding um, is in the right-hand lane. So as long as you drive on the inside lane, I, you, you'll probably be able to get around without hitting too many big puddles. Deal. <laughs> so David, having lived in various places like the Northeast, Virginia, California, New Orleans, and now Houston, which of them do you consider home? Well, I was born in the city of Philadelphia, but I didn't spend much time there. And I grew up near uh, Boston in a small town. And then my father, who was in the military, was transferred to Norfolk, Virginia. As I'm sure you know, Norfolk, Virginia has the largest naval base of the U.S. Navy. It's a huge base. And so it was a very life-changing experience for me. So I've spent a number of years in Virginia. So when somebody asked me, the short answer is, I consider Virginia my adopted home state. Okay, wonderful. It's beautiful. And also can be kind of cold there, yes. but it's a very beautiful place. Yes, inland of Virginia can be very cold. Norfolk, because it's right on the water, Norfolk and Virginia Beach, um, it's um, it's pretty temperate there, uh, not a lot colder than Houston. But um, I uh, spent some time at Charlottesville University of Virginia, which is um, in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it does get quite cold there in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. And also, I see that you've traveled to many different countries, or let's say co continents like Europe yes. and Asia. 
So how have your experiences in each location shaped your perspectives, both personally and professionally? Well, there's um, there's a couple observations on that. I, I have been fortunate uh, to, I did limited international travel when I was younger. And over the last 10 years um, with uh, my better half, who is uh, obsessed with traveling everywhere. So she, she does all of the travel planning. Um, we have been to um, a number of places. I would say the place I enjoyed most other than being home was Japan. Um, we spent a month in Japan right before the COVID uh, shutdown. And I can tell you that I felt safe every place that I was in Japan. I actually felt physically safe as a tourist and as a member. Um, I was impressed with the cleanliness that uh, if you go to a little stand and have an ice cream cone, they don't expect you to walk around and eat the ice cream cone. They expect you to stand right there and eat the ice cream cone and put the trash in their trash can. And they have very few public trash cans because you're expected to bring your trash home and take responsibility for your own trash. Uh, the other thing, which was very funny because my uh, better half is from New York City and she's used to jaywalking, is if you jaywalk in Japan, they will arrest you. And apparently many tourists uh, are not familiar with the strictness. So in the middle of the night, we would be standing at a stoplight waiting for the walk sign we weren't driving, but we the walk sign to walk across the street. And if you walk across the street and the walk sign is not telling you to walk, you can you can be arrested. So it's a very funny uh, story. But um, I also appreciated the fact that Japan was so positive about the United States. And considering they are the only country on earth that has not been bombed once, but bombed twice with uh, nuclear bombs, um, it was very interesting to me that they are very positive about the United States. Um, probably the, a very memorable experience, but extremely different, was going to four countries in Africa. And I went to uh, Ken Kenya, Tanzania, um, uh, Zimbabwe, and to South Africa. And uh, those countries each are very different from each other. I did get one of my favorite stories um, is uh, Hemingway's The Snows of Kilimanjaro. And I had an opportunity to several times see the snows of Kilimanjaro uh, as we went in different parts of uh, uh, Tanzania. And so that was very interesting. Probably the most memorable part of being in Africa was to go to South Africa and learn about the history of apartheid and the horrors of apartheid. And I'm concerned because I'm an educated American and, and in favor of, of, of a positive, diverse society that we Americans did not understand how horrible apartheid was that we continued to do business with it. and as you know as the first of all i thought apartheid was a historical concept it was put in after world war ii 
And so this is something done in the modern era when we were desegregating and becoming a modern accepting society. That's when they put apartheid in. It was very strictly um, enforced. Well, um, one of the things that we didn't know, we knew that a lot of international organizations like the Olympics began to say, South Africa, you cannot participate because you have this horrible apartheid thing. So we began to do things like that. But the United States continued far into as far beyond what I think they should have done to do business with South Africa's um, uh, racist government. And it was interesting because I didn't know about the slaughter that took place during the protests. Um, there is a, um, a monument and a museum. There were 700 children murdered no. for protesting against apartheid um, in the um, uh, late 1980s uh, when this finally was reaching a, a boiling point. And I can understand why the people involved in the government, when it finally switched over, and of course, uh, under, um, you know, the, uh, yes, uh, and, and Desmond Tutu, the, the bishop, they, um, a lot of these uh, uh, administrators fled to Holland, you know, went back to, you know, were Dutch, and they went back there and got out because uh, I can understand things. So it, it is very interesting because the, the um, but it was a very nice place. I mean, um, I went to the southernmost point in Africa, um, which is, uh, you know, it was interesting to go all the way down to the southern point, um, saw Cape Town and- uh, Beautiful. And it was the beautiful countries. One of the books that had made the biggest impression on me when I was in high school as a very avid reader is um, Ellen Patton's Cry the Beloved Country, which describes the beauty of the country and also the, the, the problems uh, with um, apartheid. It was very interesting, but I was disturbed because as an educated American, I don't think we fully understood how bad apartheid was. And I think we should have done more as a society, not as a country. This isn't a country thing. This is not a military thing, but as a society, as a, as a sophisticated modern society to say, hey, you know what, guys, that's not okay. We're not going to visit your country. We're not going to um, do commerce with you until you stop these this horrible thing. So uh, I'm glad that you know that that has been resolved. Um, but um, you know the the pain still lingers on. So I did go to see several uh, museums, and they did keep one of the prisons as a museum. As if you've been there, you may know, so that you can go in there and see the pictures and the, what what was done to people because the, the vast majority of people who were in the prisons um, uh, during apartheid were political prisoners. Wow. I've never been to South Africa. But, yeah, but it's, it's very interesting, I can tell you. David, I could be listening to you talking about history for the <laughs> whole day. <laughs> but I'm curious about your latest book. Bad deal for American, and I know that it addresses significant financial issues in the U.S. 
So can you tell us, without spoilers, but I'm so curious, <laughs> what it reveals about the broader economic challenges facing the nation? Well, the original concept of having people in Congress and having a president was that it was the people's country. Uh, unlike England, which had a king and the kings, uh, you know, inherited their position from the previous generation. And of course, we recently saw this where Queen Elizabeth uh, passed away and Prince Charles became King Charles III. Um, we should have civilian legislatures, people who go to Washington, uh, who are of us and of the people who go to Washington and do our business and take care of our big problems and our big business, and then come home and live under those laws that they've passed. And so Bad Deal for America is intended to highlight the problems with the current political system where people go to Washington, they become polluted, they become enamored with the bright lights and the money and the, the fame, and they do, do not do the, the country's bidding, the people's bidding, they do their own bidding. And it's, a, it's very unfortunate, and some very, very good people have been elected to office, but unfortunately, they um, become polluted by the system up there. And um, I have been advocating um, term limits. So the, the main pitch of the book is term limits. The, the book is bipartisan. There is a little partisan kick at the end, but it is a bipartisan book. Um, and I, I think about writing all of the time. I, I have to set up files on my computer because I'll think of something and be they may even the next day I'll forget about it. Gee, I had that really good deal idea yesterday. How did let me go write about it? So I was thinking about a deck of cards because in yeah. Washington, these guys are playing in a high-stakes poker game, but they're playing with our money. They're not playing with their money. And uh, so what happened was is that I came up just thinking about a deck of cards, and I came up with the title Bad Deal for America. And since I do not gamble, I had to go buy a deck of cards so I could look at the structure and how the cards were laid out. So um, what happened was is that uh, I said, well, we're going to have 26 Republican uh, politicians and 26 Democrat politicians who will be identified for their stupid statements, absurd statements, funny statements. So as I point out, it is not an honor to be in this book. It's actually kind of a badge of dishonor. And so I did have a couple of my college students, my students uh, work, you know, as interns, they get paid, of course. And um, we looked up a lot of different politicians, probably over 100 candidates um, were in the pool for the 52 cards. And so... The rule was that the person had to be in either the Congress or the United States Senate. So um, Joe Biden is there because he was a senator. Um, Donald Trump, I'm often asked Donald Trump is in the book. He is not in the book. He never held office. The only office he's ever held is president. So he's not in the book because he didn't qualify. 
So um, he'll be in the redo of my first book, which is about the American presidents. So I'll be redoing uh, Decline of America um, because Biden and Trump are not in that book, but they will be in the in a, in a revised okay. book. And that, that's one of my future book projects. And we've already been doing the research, of course. But um, in any event, um, the first thing I wanted to tell my readers is how much money do they actually make? Because I, I don't know if you've if you've heard this, but many members of Congress will say, oh, it's so expensive to be in D.C. And oh, we have to have a house in our home district and a house in Washington. And it's very expensive. And so we need to make a lot more money. Well, they start with a salary of just under $200,000 a year. And the normal family income in America is like $60,000. So they're getting like two and a half times the normal family income. That's just the beginning. And to give you an idea how complex this is, it took eight months of research for myself and my, my research team to figure out how much money they actually had to spend. And it's a bunch. It's probably between a half a million and a million dollars for each person. So the salary is the first couple hundred thousand, but they get freebies, they get office expenses, they get all of their trips paid. Um, a lot of things that the average American does not get, they get. And it's not very fair. And what happens is, is that, um, and I, I don't want to mention some names that are not in the book, but I, I was close to, um, I spent some time in Washington personally, but in an interesting position, uh, my lady friend at the time worked for a very high level congressman. And I got to go to many, many meetings and events and things like that. And you know, the cliche, the fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. So I got to be the fly on the wall because I had no official position, but I got to observe things very, very close up. And um, so when I talk about this, I, I personally observed it. I'm not guessing. I'm not relying on a New York Times report or something. But my idea is, unfortunately, these people, many of them promised to go home to, to serve a short period of time and go home. They don't after they get there. They like the bright lights and the money and the exposure. So I do think that the people will need to get together and say, hey, enough is enough. And I think the American attitude right now is very much in favor of term limits. I, I think that's an overwhelming thing, um, like one term for president, a short term, maybe five years uh, maybe two terms for senator, uh, maximum 10 years in this House of Representatives. And uh, that's what I proposed at the end of my book. But like I said, so the structure is the first part of the book, we talk about how much money they have available, how much they make. And then there is for the 26 dumbest Republicans and the 26 dumbest Democrats. Now, we did make one change from a deck of cards. I'm sure you know a deck of cards is red and black. But in the United States, the media has decided that um, Republicans are red and Democrats are blue. So the book is printed in three colors because we have red, white, and blue. And then we can't use the playing cards because they're trademarked. So if we have a king or a queen or a jack, you, you can't just stick that in there. So I was very fortunate 
Um, there is a craft beer here in Houston called St. Arnold's Brewery, and they have very colorful beer cans. The artist who's in-house to St. Arnold's was introduced to me, and he designed a set of playing cards just for the book so that they don't violate anyone else's trademark or anything like that. I, I'm an attorney, so I want to make sure I do things legally. So it's some colorful things in there. And so the people who are most prominent, like uh, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, uh, Bernie Sanders, those people are the face cards, the high level cards. And then people that you, maybe you haven't heard about are the numbered cards. So that's the way we, we structured it. And so we also had some people who said one or two stupid things, but didn't merit getting their own card. So at the end, we have a section called chips where we just have a bunch of politicians who managed to say a few stupid things that we wrote down. One of the things that I did is, is I'm you know, very committed to accuracy. So even if a researcher found something, everything that we used was double checked. I personally went to the source and read it. And we tried to include quotations that are direct quotations that are short. And so we spent a lot of time looking at the different quotations and trying to find things that were stupid or funny on their own, that you didn't have to explain them to the, to the reader. And then we include a quote, the citation for each quote right there. You know, the Sun-Times newspaper, the Chicago, Chicago Tribune, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. And, and we tell people in the introduction, if you feel you have been misquoted, if you the politician feel that I've done you wrong, you need to go to the source that we use because uh -oh. we're we're just quoting other people. So, uh, so far the book's been out for just, uh, just under two years. Not a single politician has come forward to say you misquoted me or you are unfair. So I think we, I think we've uh, uh, served the, 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 the length of, of time. And um, we've gotten a very good response. Uh, when the book was released, um, we did a special promotion and we were a bestseller on Amazon um, at that time. What we have done most recently is we've actually created an audio book. And I didn't normally the author or a professional reader reads the book. I read the objective parts of the book, the part about how much money they have. But then we brought in four actors to perform the politicians. So the audiobook has a little zing to it because, and it's actually very interesting to listen to it because these actors changed their voices a little bit when they were doing different people. And we mixed it up. So you're not listening to the same actor for consecutive people. Um, now, most of the politicians are male. So we only had one uh, a female actor um, and so she did all of the female parts, but she varied her voice from, from different characters she was playing, like Nancy Pelosi and uh, AOC and a few of the other people. David, this book, it's so entertaining. I, I'm, I'm sure. Now, I'm going to get the audio book because it must be even more. We'll be glad to get it over to you. Glad to do that. Wonderful. But this is something that I can't stop thinking about. So with these upcoming U.S. elections, I find it 
puzzling that we have so limited pool of candidates. Our options are so limited. Why, David? Why? Well, um, a couple of things. One of the things is, is that it's a big money game. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's, you need either enormous party support, which is what Biden has, or you need enormous personal wealth, which is what Trump had. Trump, you know, he's not the first billionaire or millionaire to run for office. Um, you know, Steve Forbes has run for president and was unsuccessful. Andrew Yang, I think, was a presidential candidate early in the last election cycle in 2020. Very tough. Donald Trump, had a stupid TV show, The Apprentice. And he he has the Trump Tower and he has all these buildings named after him. So he's kind of a one-man self-promotion team, you know, of course, people working with him. And so he traded the fame of television and of his particular identity in the world uh, and, and parlayed it into becoming president. And so it's, it's, it's very hard. Um, the primary field in both sides has been, you know, very sad. And um, the Republicans at the moment appear to have what they call a deeper bench, to use a baseball analogy, a deeper bench. You know, people take off the bench and run. Um, uh, Trump, who appears to be the likely nominee. And I have said since the beginning of this cycle that I was hoping that neither Biden or Trump would be the nominees. One thing I do want to put in quickly is that I'm very concerned that people keep saying that Biden is too old. Um, that is an unfair statement. And remember, Trump is 77. He's, he's yeah. very close in age. But if you compare the two men, Trump is vigorous, sharp, nasty. He's all of the above. But he's certainly not too old. Biden is only four years older. And he's he's not there. But here's an important thing compared to Nancy Pelosi is 84. And she sounds perfectly sharp also. So I get very concerned. I had I was at the deathbed of a friend of mine, a, a family friend, and she was 95 when she passed away. Again, I was there at the, at the time she passed away. And she was sharp until the last few moments of her life. And so it is extremely unfair in our progressively aging society 
to label someone as too old. It, frankly, it's against the law. If I was an employer, it would be against the law. So the point about Joe Biden, and I'll be a little political for a moment, is he's always been stupid and corrupt. Um, why the people of Delaware, a fairly literate state, have ever elected him to office, I do not understand because um, it's been well established. You know, he ran around and lied about his uh, law school grades and all that stuff. That's why he dropped out of the presidential race 20 years earlier. And so it's um, he's not a very smart person. And I think some of the trouble that he's gotten into with him and, and Hunter doing all this weird stuff overseas is because he's not very smart. I mean, I think a smarter man would have said to his son, look, you, you do whatever you want to do, but you better stay away from me because I'm not going to permit that. And so the current situation is Joe Biden is unquestionably heading into dementia. And that is, you can call it age-related dementia, but most elderly people do not have dementia. They may be uh, slow down a little bit. They may forget some things, but he actually has a medical condition. And the few psychiatrists or medical doctors that I've heard comment on his condition have said that, look, my God, this is, and normally those responsible people like myself, when we have a family member who is beginning to lose it, which is the term we use, and I will just be personal, my mother's, my uh, father's mother, my gr uh, paternal grandmother um, lived into her 80s. Um, she was pretty sharp, but at some point she began to develop Alzheimer's and it was quite visible. And you take the car away. And I remember my uncles, my dad's brothers, who lived near my grandmother, taking the car away. Well, Joe Biden is at that point or close to the point where you're going to have to take the car away. And this is a very unfortunate thing that the political activists behind him feel that they can somehow get him elected again and that therefore they will abuse him and all that. Now, in fairness, Biden is aware enough at the moment to keep saying, I want to be president. I want to be president. And there's a little history behind this. It's interesting because speaking of the New Hampshire election, Lyndon Johnson, who is in my first book, Decline of America, Lyndon Johnson was in the early primaries in 1968. At some point, he, he came forward and he made a very, very famous speech. I watched that speech. I remember it vividly when he said, I have decided I will not run for president. And if nominated, I will still not accept the nomination. I will not run. And remember, uh, LBJ died relatively soon after the 1968 election. So he had enough awareness at the time, and I don't think he had Alzheimer's, I think he was ill, mm -hmm. to come forward and say, I will not put the country through this, I will not run, I will not put myself and my family through it. And that was the responsible thing to do. I don't know if that will happen with Joe Biden. There's a lot of discussion, of A, because of his personality, but also his handlers want to get him, they think they can somehow push him over the finish line, so to speak. 
And so I think this is going to be a very interesting situation. Now, I have heard a lot of talk that what the plan is, is to get through the conventions, which of course are in, you know, late, uh, late summer, and that then they would swap him out. And many, many of the pundits have talked about Michelle Obama. And yeah. I think they have some huge problems there. First of all, they've got Kamala Harris. And Kamala Harris, who has been a horrendously bad speaker and a horrendously bad politician, I think that she would would go crazy if she said, I'm the heir apparent, I'm the vice president. If Joe Biden doesn't run, I should be the one running on the ticket. So I don't think that the uh, Obama uh, plan has, has really fully taken that into account. And they've said, oh, well, we'll come up with some, the, the Democrats will come up with some sweet position to give Kamala so that she'll go away quietly. Just as Joe's not going away quietly, I don't think Kamala goes away quietly. So I think the pundits that have been talking about Michelle Obama are, are wrong on that. Also, I have read what she has said and what she has done. And um, she is really, really far left. I don't think if she ended up being in debates and being interviewed and all that, basically she has gone through a series of puff interviews you know, easy interviews, you know, being on The View and being, you know, people who are already in that far left camp doing the interviews. If you put her on a stage in a debate with somebody like Donald Trump, it's not it's not going to be pretty. It's going to look uh, like slaughter. And so that's the thing is, is that people really don't understand the, the game. Uh, speaking of games, if if they think that that would be uh, a that they could even pull it off and b that it would actually work, so it, it'll be interesting to see. But I do think that given his decline, uh, Joe Biden's decline, which we all see because he's the president, he's very visible. Um, I really don't think that he will make it through the November election, but we have good medicines today and he has the best doctors in the world. They might be able to pump them up and keep them going. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about Kamala and also Michelle, you know, David, I don't see people voting for women. What is your opinion about it? I am a huge advocate for equality for women. I have been for my whole life. I, I had a wonderful uh, mother. Um, I have wonderful sisters. Um, I have a wonderful daughter and granddaughters. And um, I have great students in my classes. And I think it's very exciting that we have a, a woman president of General Motors. Uh, we had a woman president of Xerox relatively recently. Uh, we have uh, more and more women coming into politics. Um, in law school right now, there are more women than men. Um, um, accounting and some other areas. Engineering uh, is still a little bit behind. But I think if we if we get away from certain stereotypes, that uh, we will fix that in the future, that we'll have more women computer programmers and more women engineers. Uh, we just need to give this the, the girls, the girls, 
the encouragement at an earlier age to uh, pursue the math and things like that. I think it's a, a fixing problem. Medical school has been slow, but we're about parity between men and women now. My personal preference, and again, nobody's asked me because I'm right all of the time, but I have to be asked and people have to listen to me, right? Is uh, that we should always now have a president and a, a vice president and a male and a female. So I do think that Donald Trump, who I assumed would be smart enough to have a woman vice president, he said it won't be Nikki Haley, but there are many fine women candidates in the Republican Party, including at least Stefanik from New York and, you know, Marsha Blackburn. I mean, there, there's, there's plenty of them. And so I would like to see him have a female vice president. I think that would be the smartest ticket. But I've also heard him mention Tim Scott, who is a terrific politician, one of my favorite people. And um, he's mentioned uh, Brian Donalds uh, from uh, Florida. So I'm not sure that he's gotten the message that it should be a woman vice president. But I think given his age at 77, that a woman vice president might become the first female president if something medically happens to the Donald. So this could be a very interesting deal. And of course, a lot of people have said since Biden's not going to make it, if the Biden-Harris um, team actually was to win the election in November, that it's very likely she would become president at some point. But that's a great weakness to that ticket because um, she is actually polling at lower numbers than, than Joe Biden. Hi, David. Please promise me you'll come back because there are Happy so, to do it. <laughs> so many things that I want to ask you. And where, David, our listeners can find you and, of course, your books online. My two current books are on Amazon. They just put my name in, spell my name right, and they're, they're, they're up on Amazon. I do have a website for my consulting firm. It's called uh, uh, ClaremontManagementGroup.com. And uh, I am on very active on social media. I'm uh, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, which is now called X, of course. And also um, there's a conservative social media site, Getter. And so I'm on all of those um, uh, sites. I'm as visible as I can be without, you know, I, I don't have a lot of money. So I, there's only so much I can do. Don't buy a lot of advertising. And um, as you know, I'm working on a new book, which is not on political management. I'm working on a book called A Cheap Education, which is a fiction based on fact story of um, Philadelphia in the early 1970s in the time of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And there's all that in the book, but uh, we had to do fiction because it's there's too much true stuff in there. We didn't want to embarrass anybody. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we think people find that interesting. And uh, uh, we're hoping to have that book released in the first quarter of 2025. So David, definitely you will come back. I'd be very you. happy to, and I very appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. You are brilliant, David. Thank you so much. And I wish you safe travels as you uh, 
tour the world in a very close up uh, experience. And I think many people would like to trade with you because, you know, you can visit a place, but to go and spend some time at a place, you really get a better feeling for it. Yes, for sure. I drive safely. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care now. <laughs> Thank Bye. You. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.